The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. So how you all doing? If you weren't with us last weekend, it's okay. You are actually in the right place today. We have spent the last several weeks talking about what it means and how important it is for all of us to have a place where we belong. Not only uh, a place where we are known for and, and accepted for who it is that we really are, but like we said every single week, who also, where we're also surrounded by a community of people who, who love us far too much to just simply leave us that way. And one of my, my hopes and one of my prayers for us as a church really is, is that not only would people actually come and attend, but also, more importantly, that they would attach as well. In fact, one of the things I pray for you, you don't even know this, but I pray for you every single day, and I pray that God would provide for us as a church, that he would protect us as a church. I pray that he would pardon us from our sin, and I pray that he would actually use us to help other people attach and, and be connected to him. And, and one of the things that you, you should know about me as your pastor, because, again, this is part of who I am, is that I am not in any way content to just simply have a bunch of people come in and come out of this place every single week. That's, that's not at all what I want for us as a church. It's not what I, I want for you personally. Instead, I want every single person here actually connected to a group of people who know them, who love them, and who will most importantly pray for them. And, and the reason I want people to attach is because I want to see, and I think you want to see also, I think we want to see people grow in their relationship with Jesus, right? We want to see people actually understand what it means to, to believe in Jesus. And we want to see people become. We, we do. All of us do. You do and I do. We want to actually see people become everything God has created them to be in Jesus. And, and one of the things that is, again, so incredibly important for all of us, and I think we know this, is that in order to see that kind of growth happen, in order to see that happen in, in people's lives, there has to be relationships there, right? Because what we all know, I think, is that, it, it, that maturity, whether it's spiritual maturity or, or personal maturity, that always, always, always happens in the context of relationship doesn't it? I mean, you know, right? If you're going to, you know, learning something, that's great and that's, that's significant. But, but learning is not really make, what makes the difference, is it? I mean, what, what makes the difference is actually applying what it is that you've learned. It's actually doing what you've learned. I mean, you, you know this. You can come in here every single week and you can take a bunch of notes. But, but if you don't actually apply what it is that you, you've heard, if you don't actually do what it is that you've learned then you miss out, right? It is actually doing that makes the difference. And see, it's in that context of relationship when people are attached to each other that, that again, not only do we learn things, not only do we hear things, but we also get to encourage one another. And when we say encourage, like we talked about last week, it's not just like, you know, hey, you know, looking good today, you know, nice. It's not, you know, good job or, or high to high five. It's not that kind of encouragement. But it's like we talked about last week when we were looking at that section of Scripture from Hebrews. Encourage meaning to urge one another, maybe strongly at times, to, to appeal to, to, to exhort maybe, maybe even if need be, to, to beg, right? And, 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 and all of that, all of that is what creates this sense of belonging, this sense of this is where I belong, this is where I fit, this is where people know me, and if I'm not there, I'm going to actually be missed, 
It creates this sense of connection that I think every single person, all of us, and every single person in our world is absolutely hungry for today, aren't we? In fact, the truth is this, all the great belonging stories, all the great care stories, all those stories that you end up hearing about, the stories that many times, you know, we turn into videos and that we watch and that we celebrate in this room, all of those stories, they actually happen amongst people who are already in community. They've got a small group. They've got a ministry group that they're a part of. And so, so there are already people there who know them, who love them, who are connected to them, and who most importantly have access to them when a need arises. And so my goal in this series has really been about two things. It's about helping all of us to understand how critically important it is for us to work together to create places, to create environments for everyone, for everyone to have a place to belong, and then hopefully also to encourage each of you. My hope is that each of you, you would actually be in and you would get into an intentional community of some sort, whether it's a small group or a ministry group, that you would actually do that, take that step and connect. And, and, and maybe, you know, you're here today and you're kind of like in group limbo because, you know, you used to be in a group and you're not sure if you still have a group, if the group is still together or not, that you would actually get on the phone and talk to each other and figure out, is the group going to get back together? And if so, that's great. Start meeting. Start meeting again. But if not, that's okay too. That's okay too. That's normal. It's normal for changes like that to occur. And maybe this is your opportunity to be a part of a new group or to start a group and to, to, to start a brand new group. Because again, what we want is for everyone to actually be connected into a group that's a good fit for your current life stage, wherever that is at. And so again, you can go to our website. You can go to our app. You can download the app. Click on the connect button. Either of those places, you'll see a little form that pops up, and you'll see all the different small groups that are available to you. And again, filling out that form, that does not commit you to anything. All it does is it helps us to give you the, the most options possible to actually connect with a group of people later on this fall at one of our small group connection events. Don Haney is the director of our small group ministry. He is out in the lobby today. After the service, he can answer your questions about a small group. He can help you figure out about how to connect into a small group and help you get into a group this fall. And again, like we said together last week, you know, there are so many different things to talk about when we're in a series like this because there are so many things that are important to talk about and there's so many reasons why actually getting, you know, face-to-face -face with each other is better than just always being shoulder-to-shoulder. -shoulder. Now, we talked about one of those things together last week, which is this idea that all of us, we drift, right? Every single one of us, we all drift. And whenever we drift, we always drift away towards, we always drift away from whatever is best for us. We said that when it comes to our health, right, you never drift in a good direction in relationships, whether it's with your spouse, with your kids, even in a friendship. You, you never actually drift towards what's best for you. In every area of life that matters, every area of life that's most important to us, we said there's always effort required. It is always upstream because you never, ever just drift in a good direction. You never drift to what's best. And we looked at a great section of Scripture from the book of Hebrews where the author of Hebrews, he tells us this. He says, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
And after kind of drilling down deep into that verse for a little bit and looking at that verse, uh, kind of our takeaway from the author was this. What the author is really saying to us is that, listen, for all of us, right, the best defense against the deceitfulness of sin which is in me and which is in you, right, it's in all of us, the best defense actually isn't me. It's we. And I think, again, the truth is all of us know that's the case. All of us know that's true. And so what I want to do in our time together today is to kind of push into this subject just a a little bit deeper. And today I very specifically want to address one group of you that are here today. And I want to actually speak to the group that most of the times are the most resistant. You happen to be the most resistant when it comes to actually getting into a small group or getting into an intentional community group. And I'm not even going to tell you who you are because you already know, I think. And the truth is, it's just, it's all of you guys, right? All the men, all the single guys, all the married guys, all the college guys, all the about-to-be-engaged guys, all the been-married guys, all the 50-something guys, the 60-something guys, all the guys who already have enough friends, all the guys who already have plenty to do, right? It's all the guys. It's all of us men. Many times, we are the ones who are most resistant when it comes to this idea of being an intentional community group. And again, the reason why I want to talk to the guys today, not because this only applies to you, but because what we're going to talk about today, it specifically applies to us as men, applies to all of us as people. But as guys, whenever we drift, whenever we drift, we kind of drift, we have this tendency to drift into the same three things over and over again. And what's so interesting to me about this is that this happens to us regardless of our age. So I really do think that this is something that's unique to us as men. But see, all of us as guys, we tend to drift. When we give into that drift within, we tend to drift towards isolation, independence, and autonomy. Now, the truth is, women, you drift towards those things too. You, you, you do. It looks a little bit different for you than it does for us as men. But see, for, for us as men, one of the challenges is for us, not only do we drift towards these things, but the truth is many of us, we actually pursue these things, right? The older we get, we oftentimes find ourselves on a quest for these things. We go looking for them. We actually want these things to happen in our lives. And again, you know, maybe on their own, maybe these things aren't so bad. But, but what really can compound the, the, the effects of this is one of the other things that tends to happen inside us as men. And and this is something that that happens, I think, to most of us as we get older. In fact, for many of us, this happens in our late 30s. It happens maybe in our early 40s. And I don't even know that we're aware of it all the time. But but there's this low-grade, just kind of below-the-surface, nonstop sense of anger that kind of develops in us as men, isn't there? And see, the truth is, many times we're not even aware of this happening to us. But yet the big cue for us as guys that this is something that's really going on is because what you have noticed is that your wife is always saying to you, you know, hey, hey, what is it that you're so angry about all the time? And, and you're like, you don't even know. You didn't even realize that you were being that way. But that's somehow become a part of your, your personality. And see, what you are aware of is what you are aware of. You're aware of the fact that right now in, in this stage of your life, it just seems like time is flying by, isn't it? It, it, it's like you can't even get a hold of how fast the seasons are moving because it, it's like it's summer and now it's Christmas and now it's summer and now it's Christmas and right now it's summer and tomorrow it's going to be Christmas again. And see, all that, what happens to us as men, that builds up inside of us and that creates an awful lot of discontentment in us as guys, doesn't it? 
And see, the hard truth is you know, if you're honest, you kind of know who you're most unhappy with. Right? It's you. It's you. You're most unhappy with you. But you're making the people around you unhappy because you're making them feel like it's them. And so that just, that just compounds this whole issue of isolation, autonomy, and independence. And see, the problem with anger, and again, this applies to all of us, men and women, the problem with anger is that anger always isolates, doesn't it? I mean, it always isolates. And it makes us go further and further away from the relationships and the people that we actually need the most. It pushes us to go and hide even deeper. And then to make that even worse, again, for many of us, in the business world, in the professional world, if you're in sales, you're in management, you're in financial services, you're in marketing, how easy is it for you, for every single person in your life to actually fit into one of three buckets? They're either a client, they're a contact, or they're a customer, right? Every single person you meet. And it's so easy to feel like every person you interact with on a daily basis, they either have an agenda for you or you have an agenda for them. That one of you somewhere is on somebody's agenda. And so you never really develop relationships with anyone who doesn't either need something from you or who doesn't want something from you. And again, that just compounds this whole feeling of isolation, independence, and autonomy, doesn't it? And so, guys, I really do. I really do want to help you. We want to help you as a church do whatever we can to actually help you get into intentional community groups and develop those relationships with other men. But the truth is, at some point, you just got to make the decision to do this because it really is up to you. You got to make the decision not to be drawn into that vortex because if you are, then you lose. Then you lose. And so what I want to do in our time together today as I kind of want to poke a little bit, and I want, to, I want to prod a little bit, and I want to encourage a little bit, and I want to tell you a story. And the story that I want to tell you today is a story about isolation, autonomy, and independence. So take out your Bibles, open them up to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, the hard part about this particular story, at least for some of you, is that when you open up this story and you see the heading on the top of this page, there is this temptation there to say, okay, David and Bathsheba, I know the story, I know the point, let's just kind of get on with this. And see, if that's you today, then I really want you to try to resist that temptation and that urge that you, that you may have within you. Because the, the reason I wanted us to look at this particular story at this point in this series is because this story gives to all of us, again, men and women, a very up-close and personal view and look into what happens when we allow independence, isolation, and autonomy to reign and to rule in our hearts as people. Now, one of the things that you may not know about this particular story, when this occurs in, in David's life, David is the king at this point. And David, David is like 50 years old when this event takes place. David is not some 25-year-old wild-eyed guy who's trying to spy on women from the roof of his house. That is not the context of this story. And that's really important for us to understand. 
David's been king for about 20 years at this point, and he's 50 years old, so he's like a real adult at this point. He has finally grown up, okay? He's an actual living, breathing adult man. He's 50 years old. And in verse 2, we read this. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam. Now, that may seem like a strange way to introduce somebody to us, but that's actually a very significant statement because what the author of this book wants us to understand is that David knew exactly who this person was because Eliam, Eliam was actually one of David's bodyguards and David's father, Eliam's father, was a man named Arithopal, who happened to be one of David's closest advisors. So, so Eliam is one of, one of the, David's mighty men, in fact, one of the men that David knew and, and trusted the most. Isn't this Bathsheba, the, the daughter of Eliam, the wife, underline wife, right? The wife of Uriah. Not just some random guy named Uriah, Uriah the Hittite. David, you know this guy named Uriah. He's one of your generals. This is one of the guys that you have fought with and bled with. You've actually been in battle with this guy, David. He is Uriah. This is, she is the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Verse 4, then David sent messengers to go and get her. Now, again, you know what happens next in the story, right? So they bring her to the palace, and David and Bathsheba, they spend the night together, and then she goes home. And there's actually some context in this story that would tell us that this was not a one-time thing, that other people actually knew what was going on because servants have gone to bring her back and forth. And the people actually know that the king is having an affair with the granddaughter of one of his closest advisors who also happens to be the wife of one of his best friends, one of his closest friends. And eventually... She becomes pregnant. And when that happens, nobody's questioning. David never says, you know, are you sure it's mine? That We never have that dialogue, do we? David knows. David knows this is his child. And it's in that moment that David does something that every single one of us are tempted to do when things don't go the way that we want them to. And David tries to control the outcome here a little bit. We see this in verse 6. David sent this word to Joab. Now, Joab's the commander of the army. And he says, send me Uriah the Hittite. Now Uriah is in battle with Joab. And this is really kind of a strange thing if you stop and think about it, because why in the world would you bring one of your best generals, one of your best fighting men back from the front in the midst of a battle just to give a report? I mean, anybody can do that. But Uriah is a faithful servant. And so he comes back and he goes to the palace and he sees David. And when he sees David, David does one of these with him. You know, Uriah, I just want to tell you that you are such a blessing to our nation. David, I, I, or Uriah, I want you to understand, I know, I know what it feels like to be you. I know what it's like to be in war. I know how demanding that is. I know how difficult that is. And Uriah, because of your faithful service to me, to me and to our country, I want to say thank you. And so, Uriah, I, I want you to go home tonight and I want you to spend the night with your wife. And so Uriah leaves the palace, but he doesn't go home, does he? Instead, we find out that he actually spends the night outside the palace on, at the temple gate, at the, at the palace gate, I'm sorry. Incidentally, which means Uriah spent the night 
with other men who were being paid to protect King David. That's where he spent the night. Now, the next morning, David wakes up and he finds out that Uriah didn't go home. David's angry, and he calls Uriah back to the palace and says, Uriah, why did you not go back to your wife like I told you to? And he says, how can I, King David, how can I go back and, and, and be at home with my wife when my men are fighting and dying on the battlefield? See, the problem here is that Uriah's got way more honor than David does, right? And so David says to Uriah, okay, Uriah, I understand, I get it, I will send you home tomorrow, but I want you to stay one more night at the palace. And then so that night, Uriah stays at the palace again with David, and this time David brings him to a party and he gets him drunk. And at the end of the party, when everything's breaking up, he kind of takes Uriah and aims him out the door and says, okay, go home and be with your wife. But once again, Uriah doesn't go home. He goes back outside to the gate of the palace, sleeps outside on the ground, and David finds out again the next day that that's what Uriah does, and now David realizes he has a problem. And so David takes out a piece of paper, and he writes down some instructions, rolls it up, he gives that to Uriah, And he tells Uriah, I want you to take those instructions. I want you to give them to your commander, to Joab, when you get back to the front tomorrow. Uriah does that. And we can actually read the instructions that David gave to Joab concerning Uriah. It's in verse 15. David told Joab to put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest and then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. Outcome controlled, right? Then the last verse of the chapter, verse 27, we read this. The thing David had done, it displeased the Lord. Now, other translations are actually a little bit more blunt about this, and it says the thing that David did was actually evil, in the sight of the Lord. And I think all of us would agree and say, yes, yes, that was about as, as evil as it gets, doesn't it? Now, it's actually in the very next verse that we find the reason that I wanted us to read and to look at this horrible and terrible and, and tragic story together today, because it's in chapter 12, verse 1, that we read this. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, Nathan is a prophet. See, one of the things we need to understand is that nobody has access to David because David is the king, right? You don't tell the king that he's wrong. You don't tell the king what it is he's supposed to do. Everybody who is around David is working for David. They're all getting a paycheck from David. So nobody has access to David, nobody. And so what God does in this situation is he sends someone in from the outside, despite the fact that David had given God every single reason imaginable for God to turn his back on David and abandon David, God did not abandon David, and God will never, ever, ever abandon you. God actually sent someone in from the outside to reach David Because David had made himself isolated and inaccessible. And that is always, 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 always a recipe 
for disaster. And men, the truth is, it is in all of us to actually go and pursue isolation. And when we do that, we have got to be extremely careful because when we pursue, our, when we pursue isolation, we can very easily end up making ourselves inaccessible. And when we become inaccessible, do we make better decisions or do we make worse decisions? The truth is we make terrible decisions. And King David, the very same king who as a teenager killed Goliath, the very same King David who wrote most of the Psalms, King David makes a terrible, terrible decision because he is inaccessible by anyone. And so God, God actually sends in Nathan to, to reach David and to speak to David because nobody else can reach David at this point. And listen to what Nathan says to David. This is very important. He says this, chapter 12, second half of the verse. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. So very interesting. Nathan approaches David as if he needs David's input. He needs some wisdom from David. I, David, I need to know, what would you do if you were in this situation? There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor, The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe, one little baby lamb that he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. So it was like a family pet. It shared his food. It drank from his cup. It even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Verse 4, Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man... He refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb, the baby lamb that belonged to the poor man, and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. This is what Nathan says to David. Now he's like, okay, so wise king, if you were me, what would you do in this situation? Verse 5, David burned with anger Against the man. So David blows up right in front of Nathan. Now, who's David angry with in this moment, right? David is angry at David, isn't he? Because David knows exactly what David did. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. It's like, wait a minute, Nathan, David, what do you mean he deserves to die? You don't kill somebody because they stole a sheep, do you? Is that really what's going on here, David? And then Nathan makes this very famous statement to David in verse 7. David, you, you are the man. David, the man that you said deserves to die, that's actually you, David. You are the one who deserves to die. Verse 9, why, David, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. But God did not take away the consequences, did he? Okay. Everybody, eyes up here. Everybody, eyes up front, just for a minute. It is within every single one of us, me included, to make an absolutely terrible, horrible, dumb, 
isolated decision and have to pay a price from which we may never, ever recover because sin resides in us, doesn't it? And God forgave David. He genuinely forgave David. And for us, for us, because of Jesus, forgiveness is simple. It's still costly, but it's simple for us. But the consequences? If you actually know this story, you know how terrible how unimaginable the consequences for David were in the immediacy and in the long term. Absolutely unthinkable. And perhaps the saddest part of this entire story is actually found in verse number 1 of chapter 11, the verse that I skipped when we got started today. Because it's in that simple verse that this entire situation is kind of foreshadowed to us. It's also the verse that answers Nathan's question of why. David, why did you despise the word of the Lord and do what is evil in his sight? If you haven't already turned over back to chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. See, David actually isolated himself from the community of men, the only community of men who could possibly have access to him, the men that he was most accessible to. Hear this. David did not get in trouble because he was tempted. We are all tempted. He didn't get in trouble because she was beautiful. Lots and lots of beautiful women out there. Okay, that is not the issue. David, with a single decision, isolated himself from the only group of people, the only group of men that he was even possibly accessible to. See, when a king would go off to war, If you've ever been, if any of you have ever served in our armed forces, you know this is true. When a king would go off to war, you go off to battle, things change, don't they? Relationships change. Pretenses drop. Trust is built. Relationships develop. Interdependency happens. David with a single, apparently inconsequential decision, isolated himself from all of that. He isolated himself from camaraderie. He isolated himself from relationships. He isolated himself from interdependency. He isolated himself from friendships. With what seemed to be a simple, inconsequential decision. Because, I mean, who could know? I mean, who, who could know what the future would hold? Jesus actually says this to us in Matthew chapter 18. It is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come into your life. Now, the reason why you stumble over something is because you don't see it, right? You don't see it. This is what we're going to talk about next week. I mean, if you could see it, you would never stumble over it, would you? 
in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. See, if nobody has access to you, men or women, students, everybody, nobody has access to you, nobody has the access to the details of your heart, nobody has access to the details of, of your life, eventually you are going to stumble. And hear me, I'm not saying you're going to do what David did. I'm saying you're going to stumble because that's what, what happens to all of us. So when you stumble, who's going to be there to actually point out the thing that you don't see? When you stumble, who's going to actually be there to restore you and bring Christ to you? See, we want to help with that. We really do. We, we want to help you do that. We, we, we want to help you because I know what's on the inside of you. It is on the inside of me as well. It's on the inside of all of us. And see, one of the challenging things about community is that community is one of those things that many times we want the least, but when we need it the most, it's actually the hardest to get. And so here's my question for all of you, but especially for the guys. Are you willing? Are, would you be open to the idea of giving people who don't need anything from you or who don't want anything from you, would you be open to the idea of actually giving them access to you? Of actually being willing to step into community, intentional community. And, and it might be, I'll be upfront with you, it might be very uncomfortable community, especially at first. But are you willing to step into intentional community, not only for your sake, but also for the sake of the people who you love the most, as well as for the sake of the people who love you the most as well. I hope so. I hope so. That's my prayer for each of you. Let me pray for you today. Father, this is one of those stories that you have preserved for us and that you've saved for us. That when we hear it and when we read it, it just hits each one of us in so many different ways. For some of us, we hear it as a warning. For others of us, we hear it with some regret. But Father, actually my prayer today in this moment is that every single person here would actually hear this as a reminder of your great love. That no matter what we do, no matter how much sin we jump into, that you always pursue us. You never give up on us. You never turn your back on us. And despite the awfulness of the sin that resides in us, that you really have. You have taken away our sin through the death and the resurrection of your son, Jesus, who is our Savior. And Father, that is something that we recognize that only you can do. Because, Father, we also recognize that, just as David said, it is only against you that we sin. It is only against you that we harden our hearts. And, Father, because of your unending love for us and your great compassion for us, we ask that you would give to us that gift of forgiveness. We ask that you would blot out our transgressions, that you would cleanse us and create in us a new heart, O oh God. And, Father, in this moment, I ask that you would hear us 
as individually and personally as we silently confess our sin to you. I want each of you to hear today are the same words that David heard from God to you. That Jesus has taken away your sin. And so you are truly forgiven. And Jesus, we are so thankful for what it is that you've done, that where there was death, you have brought life. That where there was fear, you brought courage. Jesus, in those moments that we are afraid, you are actually with us. And so we know we can say yes and amen to the fact that nothing and no one can stand against us or come between us. Jesus, you are God and you are God with us and we worship you.